What's up, church? How's everybody doing this morning? Everybody doing well? I am not Lawrence. I just want everybody to know that, in case you didn't. My name is Doug Coltsmith, your discipleship director. I am so glad to be here today, and I am so glad that you are here. Whether you're watching online, welcome online audience. Can we show some love to our online audience this morning? You guys are awesome. Thank you so much for being here, for joining in today. We're wrapping up this series, uh, the All In series. Everybody like this series so far? This has been good. Today's the last day, y'all. So uh, I know there's some group people that are uh, reading the book All In, and there's some circles out there that are using this book as a means for discussion. So I encourage you, pick this up. Don't let this uh, be something you put on the shelf. Uh, continue to dive into this topic. It's, uh, it's something that will apply to our hearts uh, for the rest of the year and forever. So uh, you and I actually have a role to help as many people as possible take their next steps to find and follow Jesus. But here's what I know. It's going to take an all-in effort, every one of us, to make sure the job is done. That's why we're doing this series. We want everyone to be all-in on the movement of God that's going on here. Um, no more half-heartedness. We need full consecration, every bit of us. No plan Bs, no fallbacks. We need to take the first step. And as Chris mentioned last week, we need to throw down our staff and let go and let God. That's what we've actually talked about so far in this series. What we're actually talking about today gets to the heart of the issue. Something I feel is very important to going all in. It's, it's, here's the thing. God wants all of us to be all in. We know that, right? We even want to be all in. Amen? But there's something in the way that keeps that from happening. And it's this one thing, church, that provokes God's jealousy in Scripture. We're going to be talking about that today in just a little bit. Speaking of jealousy, uh, we had a quick trip to Florida. Anybody jealous? Come on. Okay, I'll take 70 degree weather versus, what was it this morning, 12 degrees. It was a six uh, wind chill factor today. So, well, hopefully you're feeling warm in here today or wherever you're at joining us online. Well, whenever we were in Florida, we visited the Disney Hollywood Studios Park. And we were especially interested in the Star Wars area. Anybody, where's my Star Wars fans? Come on, I know you're out there. The rise of the rebellion, that that ride was so amazing. But here's the thing. We spent most of the day in line (laughs) while we're waiting for these rides. It's so amazing. 45-minute wait, an hour wait. And one ride was an hour and a half wait for like a five-minute ride. (laughs) Uh, Great ride. Totally not worth it, in my opinion. Okay? But here's the thing. They had the lightning lane. For a small fee, and I didn't even check to see how much it was, per rider and per ride, you could skip the line and go to the front of the line and just be done with all of that, right? I was too cheap. I didn't pay for that. No way am I going there. But anyway, by the middle of the day, after waiting in line, most of the time, you guessed it, I was jealous of those lightning lane losers. Okay? They were walking right past us, getting online. We'd even see them come out from the ride, high-fiving each other. And yes, that was so awesome. While we still had another hour to wait. That was crazy. I was jealous of those lightning lane losers. (laughs) They had something I wanted. 
No more waiting. It was a joy. I mean, but I'm not paying that money. Forget it. That's being jealous of someone, church. But that's not exactly how God's jealousy works. We learned last week about Moses, and he had this burning bush encounter, right? And we're actually going to fast forward a little bit in his story. After Moses returned to Egypt, the 10 plagues, God delivered his people through the Red Sea. He destroyed the the Egyptian army. After that, the, the Israelites were complaining about no food or water. So what did God do? He provided food and water, quail and manna from heaven and water from a rock and all of that, right? And then they find the wandering up to Mount Sinai, which is where our story actually takes place today. If you have your Bible and you want to turn there, Exodus 34 is actually where we're going to end up. A little bit more context. Here's what's going on. God actually had already given the Ten Commandments, other laws that would help them stay on the right track. The people actually were in agreement with those commandments. And Moses went back up the mountain to get some more instructions for the tabernacle and all the details and how that would happen. And it must have kind of taken too long. So if you know the story, what happened? The people actually constructed a golden calf. Took all their jewelry and melted it together. And it's this golden calf. And they're worshiping the golden calf. This is the God who brought us out of Egypt, out of slavery. Can you imagine that? They saw God miraculously deliver them. And yet they're breaking one of his commands already. So by the time Moses come back down off of that mountain, you know what's going to happen. It's not going to be pretty. (laughs) He has the two stone tablets and he breaks the stone tablets. He pulverizes the idol and he scatters the powder all in the stream and he makes the people drink it. (laughs) I don't know that I would have did anything different. Just going to be honest. That would be that frustrating to be Moses in in that time right there. And then he went on to say this. Check this out. You can check this out on your own time. Um, It said that Moses actually had them right there on the spot. Stand up. Whoever's going to stand for God, stand up. And it was the Levites who stood up. The priests and the worship leaders. Those are the ones who stand, who stood at that time. And what did Moses do? He actually gave them swords. And he told them to kill all of the brothers and the friends and the neighbors who would not stand for the Lord. Whoa. It's one way to get people to go all in, I guess. I mean, that's, that's pretty serious business, isn't it? Stand up. Well, in Exodus 34, Moses goes back up the mountain, back up Mount Sinai to meet with God one last time. I don't know if you know this, but how many times did Moses scale that mountain? Do you know that? Uh, If you can research it from Exodus 19 and on, he goes up that mountain seven times, y'all. And what's more impressive than that? He's wearing sandals. Am I right? (laughs) He's climbing mountains in sandals. That's pretty impressive. Well, for this last time, he goes up the mountain. God carves two tablets because he broke the other ones. And he gave Moses these instructions. Exodus 34, verse 10 is where we're going to start. Here's what he says. I am making a covenant with you before all your people. I will do wonders, never done, but never before done in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. 
Obey what I command you today. I will drive out before you all of the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Parasites, Parasites, uh, the Hivites and the Jebusites. Okay? Be careful not to make a treaty with them, with those who live in the land where you're going, or they will be what? They will be a, a snare, a trap for you, among you. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, cut down their Asherah poles. Do not worship any other god, for the Lord, listen to this, whose name is what? Jealous, is a jealous God. His name is jealous. There's over 400 names for God. This is one of those names that, quite honestly, I'm not quite familiar with that. This is a name for God. He is jealous. That's his name. I kind of think of jealousy as a bad thing. Anybody else with me? (laughs) So if that's the case, how can God be jealous if he's good? Anybody else have that question? Here's the difference. God is not jealous of us, like I was for the lightning lane losers, okay? He is jealous for us. Not just a play on words. There's a big difference. It goes back to the Hebrew language. The Hebrew term in the Old Testament for God's jealousy is the word Ghana. Everybody say that with me. Ghana, okay? And it's only used, I found this interesting, when it's talking about God's jealousy. When it talks about human jealousy, there's a different word involved. But when it's talking about God's jealousy, it's Ghana, okay? Ghana is also connected to the Hebrew word Gina, which sounds similar, but when we translate it to English, it is actually translated as zeal, zealous, as in Psalm 69, verse 9. Here's what it says. For zeal for your house consumes me. You might recognize that verse, actually. Jesus' disciples remembered that verse. Zeal for his house consumes me. When they saw Jesus going berserk in the temple courts, he's flipping over tables. Money's flying everywhere. Jesus made a whip out of cords, and he's driving the animals away from the temple. Zeal for your house consumes me. And they remembered Jesus when he did that. He was righteously angry. He was furious even. (laughs) He was consumed with righteous passion. Why? Why did Jesus get so upset? Because men had turned worship into a business. People turned God's house for prayer and worship into a Walmart, kind of like in our day, right? A practice that actually led people's hearts away from going all in with God. Why would I sacrifice my own animal that I raised from birth and protected and kind of grew to enjoy when I can just buy one at the temple before the priest slaughters it for my sin? You see what it's doing? It's ripping the heart out of the sacrificial system. It meant nothing because now they wouldn't feel the transference of sin from their guilt and shame onto this innocent animal that they knew and they raised for this purpose. 
sacrifices and worship that meant nothing. Nothing at all. And Jesus showed zeal. God's righteous jealousy for a practice that destroyed faith rather than build it up. King David actually saw this in his day too, this abuse of worship. In 2 Samuel 24, he says, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. It's real. It's true. Martin Luther actually said it this way in his day. Listen to this, church. A religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. Wow. That's pretty powerful. And I know this might feel a little heavy today, but what does your worship cost you? Think about this. Are you coming to church? Are you joining in online because of what you can get or what you can give? I'm not talking about tithes or offering or anything like that. I'm talking about our hearts, church. God wants our hearts. He wants all of us. In fact, that's what the word worship means. It means worth-ship. We're showing God how much he's worth to us. And I fear for a lot of American churches, American Christians, and what's going on in our culture God doesn't seem to be very, worth very much at all. How do I know? Look at our calendars. Look at our checkbooks. Where do we spend our time? Where do we spend our resources? That's on me too, church. I am guilty as all. But that is where it's at. Worship. Does God mean anything to us? And can you see why God is jealous for us? There's so much out there that's competing for our time, our treasures, our resources, whatever we have to offer. There's so much out there. And here's the thing. Not only is God jealous for us, he is jealous for all of us. Everything. He wants it all. And I believe this. God is righteously jealous He is righteously angry. He is righteously furious even. Yes, God is a God of love, but think of it this way. He's jealous for us of anything that we put before him. Okay? Our spouse, our money, our material stuff, our retirement fund, our job, our reputation, even our desires and goals, our comfort, Maybe even sports, entertainment, music, movies, gadgets, whatever it is. Do you know what God calls that? Whatever we put before him. (laughs) Idolatry. Idolatry. And idolatry in scripture is the only thing that provokes God's jealousy. Welcome to Grand Point, where we talk about all the good stuff that makes you feel real good, right? Sorry about that, but it has to be said. Let me put it to you this way. I love my wife, y'all. Aside from Jesus Christ, Cressa is God's greatest gift to me. I know that full well. And here's the thing. I'm a pretty calm, collected, laid-back kind of guy. But if you mess with my wife, (laughs) look out, y'all. Uh, I remember one time, uh, Caleb, our oldest son, 
Um, he was uh, having one of his stubborn moments with his mama, okay? And he raised his voice with his mom and he stormed off and went back to his room and slammed the door. Oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> I don't know what happened, church. It's just something came over me and I, I snapped and I went back and laid into him. Here's the thing. We had some friends over <laughs> and when I came back after my tirade or temper tantrum or whatever you call it, they were looking at me like, whoa, what was, what was that? <laughs> it was one of those embarrassing moments in my life, and I apologize, and we made things right. But here's the thing. Don't mess with my wife, y'all. Something just comes out, and I don't know what happens. So we got to give our kids ther- you know, a good reason to go to therapy later on in life. That's what I'm saying. That's my excuse. That's all I'm going for. But here's the thing. Being jealous for a wife or husband in a marriage is a good thing. It's a sign of love. Okay, there's boundaries for where we could take that, of course. In fact, if I didn't get upset with someone, if they were messing around with my wife, that would be a problem, right? That's not good. If I didn't defend her honor, that's not good. If, if, or even this, if somebody was, was flirting with my wife and I didn't really care, that's a problem. Would you agree? That's not good. I was jealous. I am jealous for her immensely. And a marriage, a jealous kind of love is a good thing. And in some ways, it's expected. We would expect people to act that way. And that's why adultery is such a big deal. It is a betrayal. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I had a call this week with a brother who shared a similar situation with this. And it broke my heart, church. Hung up the phone and I was in tears. This is real. This is a betrayal. And I felt it. And then God spoke. And he said, that's how I feel about idolatry. Ouch. That's how he feels about idolatry. Idolatry to our relationship with God is the same as adultery in the marriage relationship. You don't believe me? Check out Ezekiel 8 and 23 sometime. It is a graphic description of Israel's idolatry that was like adultery or even prostitution themselves. We don't have time for all of that today, but check it out. For the Israelites in Moses' day, idolatry was the issue, hands down. If you know the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, what's the first one on the list? I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. There's a reason it's first. Idolatry is the issue. Someone once said, you can't break any of the other Ten Commandments without breaking this one first. It's a sign of Who's in charge? Who you're putting on the throne? Who is Lord over your life? Here's the thing. Idols, if you're taking notes this morning, distract our attention from the one true God. Idols also, they divert our affection for God. And they, they do this finally. Idols diminish our reliance on God. We just don't need him anymore. 
And I believe that's why God told his people over and over and over again, destroy the idols of foreign nations. Have nothing to do with the foreign people. Don't intermarry with them. And in fact, in some passages, we don't like this so much, God even instructs them to get rid of them. Put them to the sword. Why? Why would God do that? Because he knows. Their idols will trip you up. Their idols will corrupt you. You'll be taken in with them like everyone else. You will fall for them if you allow it. It's the same for us today. We fall for idols all around us. Here's the thing. Our idols look different, but our enemy uses them to do what? To distract our attention before God, to divert our affection for God, and to diminish our reliance on God. So I have to ask you the questions, church. What is distracting your attention from God? Kyle Eidelman, you got to check out this book, God's at War, okay? He actually calls these distractions part of the category or the temple of pleasure. Pleasure is what's distracting our attention. Food, sex, entertainment, our gadgets, our social media, whatever's taking your attention from God, that could be what you're dealing with today. What also is diverting your affection for God? Eidelman actually calls this worshiping at the temple of love. Worshiping at the temple of love. Six, uh, romance, family, acceptance, or here's the big one, self. And I believe we've moved way beyond self-love in our culture. We're now into self-worship. Everything is about us. It's all about me. Whatever I can get out of this, if that's what it's all about. That's all we care about in our culture today. And we give our affection to all of these different things, including ourselves, and we have nothing left for God. What's taking your affection from God? And then finally, what's diminishing your reliance on God? Eidelman actually calls these from the temple of power. The temple of power. Success, money, achievement, material thing. There's so many other things. What is it for you? What is it for you that's distracting, that's taking your affection from God, that is helping you to not rely on God like you used to? Whatever it is for you. If it's taking the place that only God should occupy, Those are your idols. And I have to be frank with you, church. It's our idols that are keeping us from going all in with God. It's the truth. Sometimes those things are obvious, but sometimes it's not so obvious. Let's talk about that. Back in 2019, we moved into a new house, and uh, it's a two-story house with a finished basement. And if you go down into the basement, you'll find a double set of doors that opens up to the unfinished part. And in the unfinished part of our basement, we have some uh, cement block walls, a little room in there. We actually put a gym in there. And yes, I probably need to get in there a little bit more, just being honest. Uh, but that is our safe room. That's a hidden room that we have in our house. We'll probably go there if there's ever a tornado warning or something like that. 
okay? It's, you wouldn't even know that this room is there if you looked at it. Well, Mark Batterson in the book, uh, All In, he's asking this question. What is concealed in the hidden room of your heart? What's concealed in the hidden room of your heart? All of us have to think about that. One rapper, uh, his name is NF. He wrote a song about it a few years ago uh, called Mansion. I'm going to try to give you one verse and I'm not going to try to rap it, but it just kind of comes out in, in some ways. He calls it the safe room in this house. I want you to listen to this. I want you to see if you identify with it or maybe what you can see what's in his safe room. Okay. If you don't like rap music, it's okay. Just think of it as bad poetry. Okay. So here's what he says. So this part of my house, no one's been in it for years. I built a safe room and I don't let no one in there because if I do, there's a chance they might disappear and not come back. And I admit I'm emotionally scared to let anyone inside. So I just leave my doors locked. You might get other doors open up, but this door's not because I don't want you to have the opportunity to hurt me. And I'll be the only person I can blame when you desert me. I'm barricaded inside, so stop watching. Stop knocking. I'm not coming to the door. Stop knocking. I'm trapped here. God keeps saying I'm not locked in. I chose this. I am lost in my own conscience. I know that shutting the world out ain't solving the problem, but I didn't build this house because I thought it would solve them. I built it because I thought it was safer in there, but it's not. I'm not the only thing that's living in here. Fear came to my house years ago. I let him in. Maybe that's the problem because I've been dealing with this ever since. I thought that he would leave, but it's obvious he never did. He must have picked a room and got comfortable and settled in. Now I'm in a position. It's either sit here and let him win or put him back outside where he came from, but I never can. Because in order to do that, I'd have to open the doors. Is that me or the fear talking? I don't know anymore. Whew. What's in NF's safe room. Did you hear it? It's fear, isn't it? What's in the hidden room of your heart? Maybe fear is underneath it all. Maybe it permeates everything. Or maybe it's a past. Let's be real. We all have a past that we don't want anyone to know about. Maybe it's secret sins or dark thoughts that... If we let people in on, they might run away. Maybe it's not anything negative at all. Maybe there's some really good things that we put in our lives that are hiding in the secret room of our heart as our idols. Family can be a really good thing. But if we elevate it to the place of God, it's an idol. What about our spouse? What about going to the gym? Maybe it's hobbies that have grown to the place that only God should occupy. That's your idol. But don't worry. Here's the thing, church. We all have our hidden rooms. It's every one of us. But the point is this. Jesus wants in there too. Do you hear me? Jesus wants the whole house. He wants everything. He wants even the secret hidden rooms of your heart. And in fact, that's why he died. He died for that stuff. 
that we keep hidden from God. But here's the thing. God already knows. He knows what we try to keep secret from him. And he loves you anyway. Romans chapter 5, powerful verse. You got to hear this, church, straight from God's word. Christ arrives right on time to make this happen. He didn't and he doesn't wait on us to get ready. Amen. He presented himself for the sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. And even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. We can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for. And we can understand how someone good could inspire us to selfless service. But what does God do? But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death. Listen to this. While we were of no use whatever to him. Wow. What's a saying to us? To me, it's saying God went all in for us. Put it all on the line. He went all in for you. While you were of no use to him whatsoever, you couldn't pick yourself up by your bootstraps. He knows that. And he put it all on the line for you. Why would he do that? Because he loves you immensely. He is jealous for you, all of you, everything. So don't hold back. Hold nothing back from him. Do you remember the story of Elisha a few weeks ago? What did he do? He went all in, butchered the ox, burn up his plowshare. He's not going back to that previous life. And in fact, what did Elisha do? He asked God for a double dose of Elijah's spirit. And God gave it to him. He did double the miracles that Elijah did. Pretty amazing story. I love the story of D.L. Moody as well. Some of you know this guy. He went all in. He he did uh, amazing things in his time. He lived by these words that were spoken to him by one of his friends. His friends was Henry Varley. And Henry said this to him, Moody, the world has yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated to him. We know that. And Moody said this to Varley, his friend, those were the words sent to my soul through you from the living God. That was Moody's all-in moment, church. And Moody, he vowed that he would be that man in his generation. By all accounts, he was. He went all-in. He left nothing back. He threw it on the table back in the 1800s. My question for us is, who's going to be the man? Who's going to be the woman here in our generation today? that's going to go all in. It's going to hold nothing back. That's going to live a life that's fully consecrated to God. Here's the truth. Take it to the bank. When we don't hold out on God, he will not hold out 
on us. Don't hold back. I had uh, an all-in moment a few years ago as well. And each of us, I believe, come to a point in life where we see how our family lived and we decide we're either going to choose this journey and continue or we're going to chart our own course. On both sides of my family, love them. I saw a lot of good, a lot of good. But I also saw some stuff that has tripped us up for generations. I remember making a cautious decision, church, that starting with me, starting with my generation, we're going to be the ones that are known for loving and serving God with all of our heart. We're not going to be perfect at it. None of us are. But we're going to put an end to that stuff that has tripped us up for generations. It's done. I'm drawing a line in the sand. It's over. It stops with me. It takes a cautious decision. You choose this stuff. And here's your promise. You, church, you are just one decision away from being the man or the woman who is fully consecrated, all in, for the one who went all in for you. He did it for you. Are you going to go all in for him? Now's the time. What are the idols that are holding you back, provoking God's jealousy for you? Choose today to destroy them, to leave them in their dust, to put them in their rightful place at least, where they don't occupy the throne of your heart anymore. Stuff that maybe your family has battled for generations. I'm challenging you, church. Make the decision today. Break that legacy. Chart a new course. God has a new identity for you. It starts now, right now. It starts today with one simple decision. To go all in. All the chips on the table, everything that I have, it's yours, God. If you have never made that decision to follow Jesus, that's where it starts, church. Jesus, I'm going all in. I'm done resisting you. I give my whole life to you. Everything I have, everything is yours. You're the leader. You're in the driver's seat. You are the one who are making the choices for my life. You're calling the shots. Jesus, I make you that leader. You've never prayed that, and that's your desire today. We want to help you with that decision and help you to grow in that. Talk to us. Let us know. But I know who I'm talking to also. If you're a Christ follower, if you're a Christian in here, you're hearing my voice today, wherever you are, and you're still wrestling with this idea of a me-centered life, I'm on the throne. I'm calling the shots. I know you wrestle with that. I wrestle with that too versus a God-centered life where he's truly the one in charge making the calls and the shots here. What idols have crept back in for you, Christian? What's taking your attention from God right now? What's taking away your affection for God? What's taking away your reliance on God? It's time to get rid of that stuff that's holding you back. If you don't hold out on God... He will not hold out on you. That's my prayer. 
That when the world looks at me, when the world looks at us, when the world looks at our church, they will see us living fully consecrated to him when they look at us. But it's in your hands today. Make that choice right now. Will you pray with me? Jesus, I don't know how you're working today, but I sense that you are drawing us more and more and more to you. Thank you for going all in for us. You took on the cross, scorning its shame, and then you rose from the dead, disarming all of the powers of the idols or the fake gods that we give ourselves to. They have no more power over us because of what you did. Spirit, empower us to go all in for you in this moment right now. Churches, we're still praying. If it's your desire to go all in for God, to leave nothing back, whether you've been serving Christ uh, just here now from this moment, or you've been serving Christ for decades, If your intention is to go all in, hold nothing back from God, I'm going to challenge you to do something bold. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Would you be willing to say, I I am all in. It's everything. I'm giving it all to God. Just go ahead and stand right here where you're at. If you're joining us online, you could wave a hand in the comment section just saying, I am all in. I'm doing it. I'm going all in. I'm holding nothing back from God. Right where you're at. Father, I believe that you see into every one of our hearts. You know the hidden stuff. Help us to not hold out on you. To give you our whole lives. Everything we are. To trust in you to live for you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Would you stand with us and let's worship together.